You turn in your Bible, please, to John chapter 1. <clears throat> the first chapter of John, beginning with verse 1. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of that light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this basic passage of Scripture about the deity of Jesus. We thank you that Christmas is so precious and exciting, a wonderful time to rehearse in our hearts and ears those glorious doctrines of the Incarnation, that God became flesh and dwelt among us, that we might be saved and inherit eternal life, both here and forever. We pray that the Spirit of God will touch people's hearts who need Jesus and draw them to Him. In Christ's name, amen. There's a controversy among the people of God today concerning Christmas. Some believe you should not observe Christmas at all because it is sort of pagan, and they emphasize and underscore that the Christmas tree is pagan, that Santa Claus is pagan, that even December 25th itself is pagan. And I guess, in a sense, all that's true. But one of the great preachers of all times named Chrysostom years and years ago, centuries ago, in the early times of Christian movement, said, hey, folks, while the world is worshiping the sun god, and they're all involved in their paganism, and the whole world is full of merrymaking, let's us worship the son of righteousness who hath risen with healing in his wings. And let's call attention to the fact that the God who made the Son came to the earth that we might inherit eternal life. And so, for centuries, the people of God, you, many who are listening by radio, have been meeting 
at the same season of the year when the pagan world, and much of it in America, has no idea how to celebrate the real meaning of the Son of Righteousness who hath risen with healing in His wings. And so we're trying to teach them that. And the interesting thing is, the light shined in darkness, and the darkness was never able to overcome it or comprehend it or overwhelm it. And so when paganism was at its zenith, and Jesus came to an obscure land in a little village, never traveling more than 60 or 80 miles from his home village. This whole world has been influenced by that son of righteousness. And one of the reasons is because God's people began to celebrate when the pagan world was celebrating the son of the God, the, the son God, we've been celebrating the son of righteousness. So let me encourage us to carry on at it. Just keep right on at it until Jesus shall come the second time. And I want to show you next Sunday night about the Christmas tree. Some have thought it's pagan. I want to tell you about it. I hope you'll be here next Sunday night. That's children's night at Christmas, and all the kids will be here, and we want everybody to be here, all the adults and everyone. The passage we have just read underscores the fact that Jesus was more than just a mere man born in Bethlehem. Matthew goes back to Abraham in the lineage. Luke goes back to Adam. Both of them tell accounts that are a little bit focused on a little different thing. Matthew tells about the wise men coming, saying, Where is he that is born king? And Luke says, The night Jesus was born, the angels announced to some humble shepherds on the hillside, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. John begins his gospel way before any of that. Before Bethlehem. Before Nazareth. He goes clear back to the dawn of creation. And he says, in the beginning, matchless words, in the beginning was the word. Genesis says, in the beginning, God. John, using that same introduction, says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. They are the same. If I should say to you today that Bob Brown is the wife of Sue Brown, somebody else come along and say, no, you're wrong. Bob Brown is the son of Isla Brown. Which would be right? Both, because his mother's name is Isla, but his wife's name is Sue. Some have said Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger. His mother was Mary. 
His father was Joseph. Why do you say he's the son of God? Because of this blessed book. This book says that Jesus didn't have a human father. His father was God. And very discreetly and very beautifully, Matthew tells the story of Mary and Joseph being espoused, engaged. And before they came together, she was found a child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, being like many of us, human, thought she had made some kind of a terrible, tragic mistake, and he decided, I'm going to put her away privately. Now, he had the right stoner. That's what the law said. He had a right to make it real public and to disgrace her, but he was a noble, just, honest man. And he said, no, I love her. I don't want to do that. And while he was thinking about all this, God said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take that beautiful wife, Mary. That holy thing which is conceived in her is of God. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We're thinking today about the doctrines of Christmas. The doctrines of Christmas. The word doctrine means truth. I, I heard the story of a woman who came to a great preacher one night, and she said, Boy, I love the way you preach. You don't preach no doctrine or nothing. But if you don't preach doctrine, you don't preach nothing. Doctrine is truth. And the doctrines of Christmas begin in the beginning. God so loved the world. God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His name was Jesus. And from the council rooms of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit recognized that down the corridor of the years, the crowning creation that God had made, not the kangaroos and the horses and the elephants and the tigers and the lions and the bamboos and the apes and the monkeys, but man, the crown of God's creation, man, God created man, that that man would sin. And sin is a terrible curse. The soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of that sin is death, forever, separation from God. But God so loved the world that from the very beginning they made an arrangement that when man sinned, God had a plan. It was not an afterthought. The cross was not an afterthought. It was forever in the heart of God. God so loved the world. And God had instituted the wages of sin, death, not arbitrarily.
God didn't just sit up there and think, well, how am I going to punish man? I think I'll give him death and I'll send him to hell. No, no, no. God made man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created them, and they were to look up to God. And when sin came in Genesis chapter 3, and man said, I know what God wants, but I don't want to do it. I'm going to do my own thing. I'll do whatever I want to do. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. And that's the sin in our lives today. Same thing. You see it in little kids who don't want their mother and daddy to tell them what to do. You see it in rebellious teenagers who don't want their teachers or their parents or anybody else to tell them what to do. You see it in grown people who say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Nobody can tell me what to do. That is the root sin. I sitting on the throne. And Adam and Eve sinned. And Mary and Helen and Elaine and everyone that has ever lived. And Robert and John and Richard. And all of us have sinned. And the wages of that sin, death, forever separated from God. But God so loved the world. And so, that night of nights, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem, to redeem, to redeem them that were under the law. That's the reason Jesus came. Certainly he was a great teacher. Certainly he was a philanthropist who gave to people who had need. Certainly he was a wonderful healer. You could hardly come under the shadow of our Lord without having your sickness healed. But Jesus came to redeem, to buy you and me back from the slave market of sin, to forgive our sins, that we might be saved. And so God allowed Jesus, after he had touched blind eyes and caused them to see, touched lame limbs and caused them to walk again, gone out to the cemeteries where crazy people were and restored them to their right mind, touched funeral parlors and funeral homes and funeral dirges and raised dead people to life. He allowed His only Son to go to the cross to take the wages of my sin and your sin. To be our substitute, David. Dean, He was your substitute. He took your sins in His own body. He became the sin substitute for us. And this scripture says, We beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who Jesus was. He says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. The doctrines of Christmas, redemption, regeneration. Angels played a large part in the earthly ministry of our Lord. Thank God for the angels. You ever thought about what the angels meant? The angel announced the birth of John. The angel announced the coming of Jesus. The angel told Joseph 
about Jesus. The angel told the shepherds about Jesus. The angel directed the flight to Egypt. The angels ministered to Jesus after his temptation. The angels came to Jesus in Gethsemane's garden. The angels rolled away the stone at the tomb. And two angels stood by as Jesus went back to heaven to say, Why stand you gazing into heaven? The same Jesus whom you've seen going into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. And the Bible says when death comes, the angel of God comes and takes our loved ones. The angel of death has been in your homes, in your hearts recently. But the Bible also says when Jesus comes in power and great glory, he's coming with the angels. Angels are important. And that's part of the doctrine of Christmas, the doctrine of angels. Did you know that everyone has a guardian angel? That beautiful picture of two children looking over a bridge over a little river, perhaps in danger, and behind them is the guardian angel. That's scriptural. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, my, in heaven their angel doth always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. That's one of the doctrines of Christmas. The angelic ministry. How many of you have ever seen an angel? How many of you have ever had an angel visit you? Listen, angels are not always with wings. Sometimes angels are human beings. The word angel, angel in the original language means messenger. And in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the angel of the church is the pastor. That doesn't mean he's a, somebody came over from another land, another, another planet came down here. It means he's the messenger. And so God sends messengers into our lives. Angels who stand by us in times of loneliness and hurt and difficulty. You ever had an angel visit you? I remember the night my daddy died. God sent his angel, Dr. Clyde Gordon, to be with us and stand there and lead in prayer. A messenger of God. During my daddy's serious illness, I was there at the hospital with him. The other members of the family were out of town and I was there all night and all day, and I looked up one evening, and I saw Johnny Newsom. He's now with the Lord. Johnny Newsom came and sat with me for a week while Dad was in the hospital, an angel from the Lord. God sends angels to us. Sometimes they're heavenly beings, sometimes they're earthly beings, and God uses them with a special assignment. That's part of the doctrine of Christmas. But the major doctrine of Christmas, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. And I want to ask you, have you been redeemed? On the buses we sing, I've been redeemed, I've been redeemed, by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of the Lamb, so on, you know? Well, have you really been redeemed? What does that mean? It means that we're on the slave market of sin. That sin has overwhelmed us. 
It's locked its tentacles around us. Now, it may not be moral bankruptcy. It may be just pure selfishness. It may be depending on something else other than the Lord. It may be pride. But we've been engulfed with it. And it's about to take us down. And then we look to Jesus, the rescue specialist. And he frees us from ourselves. He frees us from those old petty sins. He frees us from the bondage that we're in. And he frees us into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You know the story of the little boy who spent all morning trying to catch a sparrow. Finally got him and had him in his hand. He's walking down the street and the man met him and said, Sonny, what have you got? He said, I got a little sparrow. Well, he said, uh, Sonny, that sparrow needs freedom. You don't ought, ought not to have him caught on your hand like that. He'll die like that. Well, I caught him. I'm going to keep him. And the man uh, thought a moment. He took a piece of money out of his pocket, a dollar bill. He said, would you sell that sparrow to me for a dollar? The little boy looked at the sparrow. He looked at the man, looked at the dollar. He said, it's a deal. And so the man gave him the dollar. The boy gave him the little sparrow. And the little sparrow was all humped over, scared to death with his wings drooping. And the man held it up and he just stood there. And the man said, Sparrow, you're free. You don't have, you're not in bondage anymore. You're free. And he, he just stood there, didn't seem to realize it. And finally the man flicked the back of his tail. the sparrow flew off to freedom. Now look, that's what God has done for us in Jesus. We're all locked in in bondage and sin and self. And Jesus has paid the price for our sins by his own blood on the cross. He died. He was buried three days later. He was raised from the grave. He's alive today. And Jesus said, hey, you're free. I've bought you from the slave market of sin. I've paid your price. You're no longer on your way to bondage and sin and self and separation, you're free. And sometimes we just sit there, scared to death, don't know how to do it. And God has to sort of flick us so we can go out into freedom. I want to ask you, since you've been born again, have you enjoyed your freedom in Christ or are you still in bondage? still in bondage to self and the world and the flesh and the devil and all those things? Are you still entrapped in all of those sexual sins? Are you still entrapped in all of those language sins? The F word, the D word, the H word, the S word. The land is full of filth and trash. And a lot of it comes from the lips of people who said, I've been redeemed. Shame, shame on us. If you are free, enjoy the freedom from that bondage. You don't have to go on in sin any longer. Now, if you've never been freed, God wants to free you. 
God wants to free you right now. Not one person within the sound of my voice has to go on in bondage any longer. You can be free. You say, how do you do it? A man came to Jesus one night and said, good sir, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments, keep the commandments. And he said, which ones? And Jesus started naming some commandments. And the man said, well, sir, I've done all those things all my life. Now, either he may have been telling the truth. There are a lot of moral righteous people. And Jesus put his finger on the real problem. He looks into every heart, every heart in this room, every heart who is listening to the radio. He said to that man, you go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. What was Jesus saying? Did he say you can't have any money and go to heaven? You can't own a house or a car and go to heaven? No, no, no. He looked into that man's heart and he knew that the thing that was standing in the way, the man was leaning on himself and all the things that he had. And I want to ask you this morning to repent of that, to turn away from that, to turn away from leaning on your mom and dad and parents and grandparents and your godly home and all those things and recognize yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior. Turn away from your pride. Turn away from all the things that you would lean on and turn to Jesus. Christ receiveth sinful men, even me with all my sin. And he'll do that for you because he's the Redeemer. He came unto his own his own received him not, but to as many as received him. A boy here, a girl here, a teenager here, a teenager there, a young man, an older man. Christ receiveth sinful men, and he'll receive you. If you'll open your heart to him even now. This week we had some funerals. I was so thankful that at Ms. Blanche Harris's funeral, a godly lady who had spent all of her life unto her 90th year loving Jesus and serving Jesus. Her husband also, both of them faithful members of our church. Miss Kova Anderson, I asked her several times before she left, I said, Miss Kova, do you know for sure you're saved? Oh, yes, she said, I'm ready to go or I'm ready to stay, either one. I want to ask you, is that true of you? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. With our hearts bowed before the Lord, is there one person in this place or within the sound of my voice this morning who is not really prepared for heaven? Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And only those who have repented of sin and placed their faith in Christ are going there. I want to ask you, are you on your way to heaven? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If you do, thank Him. If you've never trusted Him, why not now? Why not now? Our Father, we thank You for this opportunity. We pray that someone will come to Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. May we stand, please. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling.